Hello and welcome back to A Primary Importance. I'm your host Kat Kelchi and today I'm so excited to welcome Sammy onto the show. We're going to be talking a lot about kind of parents, relationships with teachers um, and a few other bits in there as well. We'll probably mention Bet at some point so <laughs> be prepared for that. Um, but yes, welcome Sammy. It's so lovely to have you. Thanks for having me on, Kat. Yeah, I'm sh we'll try and avoid bet. Let's play bet bingo. How many times can we get bet into the conversation? <laughs> Sounds like a good plan. How are you anyway? How was your week been? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Um, the weather's nice, so that always helps. What about you? Yeah, really good. Oh, it's lovely to have bike holiday weekend. I think we should have more four-day weekends. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's been brilliant. So obviously I know you, but could you tell our listeners a little bit about you, please? Uh, yeah, so my name's Sammy. Um, I was a maths teacher, very recently left the classroom like a couple of weeks ago. Um, I taught secondary, I've taught in alternative provisions, I've taught in um, uh, FE, general FE, adult FE, um, and I have um, done some coaching with teachers as well about education technology and that's sort of where I sort of went into as I sort of came to the end of where I was working with my teaching um, and I then did some education consultancy around education technology and now I work at Textelp as teaching and learning specialist and um, working on maths products. Lovely yeah sounds like your best place for it with all that experience in lots of different <laughs> settings. Um, I'm sure that you're able to bring a lot to the table. <laughs> yeah, I think there's so much that crosses over. So mm. some of the some of the maths that we did in alternative provisions is very similar to some of the maths that you see in primary, and some of yeah. the further education maths is very similar to what you see in primary as well. Mm. Um, because we've got rafts of adults that are perhaps new to the UK and things like that. So we we tend to start very low level and we go very high level across FE so I've got knowledge of all sorts of different aspects of maths. Yeah actually I remember you so your upcoming article in RISE you were talking a lot about kind of parents and you did mention in there that actually there are a lot of parents that don't have those kind of core um, functional skills in maths so yeah it makes sense that you'd obviously have to have a lot of training and experience in that as well so got maths all the way through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so as well as um, being a former maths teacher, so obviously you're an educator, you're also a mum as well. Can you tell us a bit about how that impacts on your relationship with your children's teacher? It, it must be very hard for my children's teacher, let's be honest, because <laughs> um, who would want me as a parent coming in um, oh. with helpful hints and tips? Um, mm -hmm. I think at the start of lockdown, there was um, there was a huge need from my um, child's school to mm. have support with the technology. They'd never done anything like that before. And so naturally I stepped in and we did lots mm. of work around um, how we could create resources, make things more accessible. Um, simple things like recording a loom video over a powerpoint instead of sending the powerpoint you know mm. they, they didn't quite have the skills to know that that was a better way to do it um, yeah. especially for eyfs and key stage one than sending a powerpoint over which is text heavy for students mm. to absorb um, but then also the, the big part of that for me is that human connection that students can get from their teachers the whole mm. The whole crux of learning for me at Key Stage 1 in EOFS is that relationship between the teacher and the student and mm. how the teacher can bring that across. So I think I was needed, I'm now less needed, and there were huge 
areas where I feel like I want to say something but I know I can't say something because professionally mm. I think that would be wrong but as a parent I can imagine some parents and I know from other parents that they do say things in mm. those areas but as a professional I have to sort of really hold firm on the boundaries of what am I comfortable saying to a fellow mm. teacher but also what am I comfortable saying to my child's teacher as well when I need to mm. have things sorted. Yeah, it must be quite difficult actually kind of balancing that because obviously you want the best for your child, but equally you kind of want to be able to uh, respect their teacher as a professional um, as well. So that must be quite a hard balance to strike at times. Yeah, I think um, there, there was an example recently where the, the children had been taught um, some sort of measurement and mm. the other parents were up in arms over the, the, the measurements that had been used. And I, I don't think... That, I don't think it's anything to do with anyone. It was just generally how it was taught. And the mm -hmm. parents were like, we need to go in and we need to sit. And I was like, as a professional, I can't support you with this because I would never question another teacher's classroom. That's just mm -hmm. not how it works. We have yeah. to respect that what happens in the classroom is how that teacher has created that environment with the best mm -hmm. of intentions to best support those students. And if a yeah. mistake happens, they can catch it up the next time they see those students. Um, you know, it's the old never question a teacher in front of a teacher. If there was a behavior your issue in secondary would never question a fellow teacher's approach to resolving that issue mm. we would perhaps do it later and catch it up after the fact but the teacher's authority is the teacher's authority because everybody mm. does it with the best of intentions otherwise you wouldn't be a teacher yeah no absolutely and you don't kind of want to undermine what you say is obviously the best intentions it's great to give that support but it's yeah the difference between that questioning and the support um, so what kind of professional boundaries have you needed to set then and how would you advise that others could go about it as well? Yeah, so I think I, I've drawn a real a real strict line of what happens in the classroom stays in the classroom. Mm. Um, and so when my child comes home and needs help and support, if I have the right resources to support or the right ideas to support or the right materials to support, I'll support mm. as a parent the best way that yeah. I can. Um, if there's something where there's missing or there's been a missed communication, I have the skills and the ability to go find things that will help and support my child. Mm. But then other parents don't. So then I have to then sort of step in sometimes as the mum in the mum's chat and be mm. like, hey, guys, I found this great website. It really helped with this week's homework. Do you want to have a look? And then mm. all the other parents can choose to come along or not. But yeah. in terms of as a mum, what I would want to do is go back to the school and say, hey, you want me to help with this maths homework, but there's no resource that went with it. There was a miscommunication mm. here. How can how can we go forward with this? And so I, I have to be really strict and parents' evenings have to be really defined. Mm. Um, we, we both write an agenda and I think that really helps. Mm. Um, obviously, there's a school agenda for parents' evening and then me as a parent, I write an agenda as I would yeah. want as a parent. And I think that really helps keep a discussion and then we both sit with it on the table we're like oh we can start mm -hmm. there and oh we then we can talk about this and oh oh you wanted to talk about that right okay I might need to come back to you on that and that's mm -hmm. okay too um I think there can never be too much communication to a parent mm -hmm. because the teacher is looking after the most precious thing in the world of course um, and so the parent just wants as much communication as possible but we have to be realistic on the expectations of time taken from teachers to do that communication yeah and that's that's where a lot of not issues but a lot of grumbles come from fellow parents in that mm. they like I want more communication why don't we get this information why don't we get this information well because they're busy teaching 
guess yeah. what? That's what they're doing. Um, mm. And so there's the, there's that balance to happen. Um, but then also I do support the school with their teacher training and development for education technology still. Mm. And so it's a different conversation. So I, yes. I mean, I'm very, yeah. I'm very traditional in that I have a personal email or work email. And mm. so the ones when I'm supporting and you know offering guidance and perhaps the best extension or app to use that will come from my work email but in mm. one where i want communication about my child that comes from my personal email um, yeah. and it, it yeah. has to be that defined and we don't cross over so if i'm in school talking about an app or an extension or mm. the purchase of chromebooks or whatever it is that we're doing that happens on a professional level and at no point is my child mentioned mm-hmm. but when I'm coming in to talk about my child that's what we're going to talk about and it has to be that rigid I think yeah no that definitely makes sense otherwise you just end up blurring all the, all the lines all the time wouldn't you so um but yeah even as simple as using those different email addresses and, and that kind of thing seems like a really good way to keep that separate so you mentioned obviously there's there's never enough communication with parents um how do you feel that schools are engaging parents well and where do you see the potential for improvements with that i think i think lockdown caught everybody short certainly from mm. a, a primary and certainly from a key stage one in yfs point of yeah. view i think i think that caught everyone out a little bit we had um reward apps already existing where they would get points or a sticker and things like that but they weren't leveraged to the power that they can do so the app that my child's school uses not only can they get a sticker we can get a message that comes home as well Mm. but that app sits there on my phone and isn't used for months on end Mm. because the teacher's busy and it's fallen down the list and then in lockdown it wasn't used because I think it was associated with when I see a child doing something good I'll send them a sticker not oh I could use this tool to communicate with parents and it's that shift in thinking that I think sometimes needs to happen Mm. when we're looking at parent communication we probably have enough apps and enough tools already to communicate with parents just this week I had to download another app for the cricket team that my child plays Mm. in because (laughs) we needed another app to do so that communication and as parents we're we're used to navigating multi-channels for communicating Mm. about our child we could talk about our children all day that's what we (laughs) do so we don't mind as many channels as we can but it needs to be defined by the schools for what each channel's purpose is Mm. One of the best things that our school did at the very beginning was that opening meeting when we started, um, they sent us home with the phonics cards, obviously, mm. because none of us knew what phonics were. So we yeah. were like, that's great. <laughs> that I remember that all the kind of transition into school um, <laughs> yeah. kind of parent workshops, phonics was always a big one because I'm yeah. like, what? <laughs> like what you sound the word out yeah that's what we do we don't spell it okay <laughs> you don't have to explain that one to me <laughs> so, yeah they had us in to do that and it mm. as as brilliant as that was for the phonics what it actually did was it helped us build a community as parents as well because mm. we wouldn't meet otherwise unless yes. our yeah. children became friends or you know you chat to people in the playground but mm. you, you, know, you don't know their number or you don't know you no. don't necessarily know which child they yeah. are collecting um but the school then just passed around a piece of paper that said if you want to be added to a whatsapp group pop mm. your name and number on the school didn't set it up and um, mm. the school passed it to one of the parents who already had a child at the school and said these are the parents that want a whatsapp group would you mind setting one up and this parent mm. did and it was as simple as that and mm. that then enabled us as parents to then 
communicate. I mean, it's it's full of. Is it non-uniform day this week? Um, <laughs> yeah, where, where are the spellings? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> where are the spellings for this week? Mm. And then there was a party invitation this morning, and then someone has gone. Well, hang on a minute. Someone else's party is that day, and they've gone. Oh no, mm. I'm going to have to. I thought that's quite used to actually. To yeah. Be <laughs> that and the simplicity of that the school did nothing mm. other than pass a piece of paper around yeah. and the teacher leveraged that existing relationship with a parent who had an older child and said would you mind setting that up for us please um uh, another thing that's been less successful was the twitter account and there okay. was a reason for this because mm. it was a lockdown account it was only mm. for parents that could be added to view it and then i don't think anyone realized the level of um communication that you need to keep something alive online and I think this is part of this multi-channel thing where I say we've probably got enough channels going already. Yeah, and that's spreading it channel, thin. Yeah, you've got to really live and breathe something for mm. it to take off and to be a success. Um, and so there, there's so many within the school that the school control. You know, we have a message for text messages. We have an app for text messages. We have an app for stickers when they do well. We have an app to book parents evening on. We mm. have an app to pay money for lunches on. And all of these things can do messages as well. But how do you want to communicate as a school with your parents? Mm. Our schools still send an email with a newsletter in. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they'll send a text message to remind you of all the things in a newsletter. And like I say, we can never have enough communication. But what is missing is that active dialogue and that two-way communication mm. Because how do parents then reply or respond? Yeah, if the, of course. If it's a school-owned platform and then it's a sticker mm. with a message. Um, and so the, the school have um, introduced planners where parents can write in. And as much as everybody turned their nose up at the very beginning and said, mm. a planner, they're, they're for, what do they need a planner for? Mm. Actually, it's really handy to mm. put in. Um, they couldn't do the spellings this week. They found it really yeah. tricky. And it's that discreet messaging as well, because one of the mm. biggest things is you don't want to embarrass your child and be like, yeah. I need to tell your teacher that you couldn't do your spellings. Mm. You, you can do it in a different way. So as mm. old school as it is, pen and paper sometimes still wins. But it's mm. what it, what I would say is that schools just need to probably just sit back and go, right, how many channels have we got? And mm. how many ways can we communicate with parents? And what do we want to do with it? Because in another school where uh, another friend's child goes, they just have this splattergun approach and they message on all platforms because they're not sure which parents are using Mm. what platform. And so as much as I say too much communication wouldn't be a bad thing, it does become a bad thing when it's repetitive messaging. It's the same with everything, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I think an audit of communication is Mm. probably the best place to start for schools is to think, what have we got what can we leverage and what else is out there that isn't doing what we're doing and I don't think anything needs significant investment like I don't know Mm. a parent who doesn't have the Google Classroom app on their phone with their EYFS or Key Stage 1 child's account on Mm. and you can communicate with your Mm. student and teacher in that as well via the student account now it wouldn't be a regular thing but this this is what I mean there's so much out there just an audit as a parent Mm. it's probably a plea have an audit and be like what is it we can do to enhance this communication but in our case pen and paper has won the day as the most efficient way Mm. to communicate yeah it makes a lot of sense especially as you know you've got parents that will be working and things like that won't be able to drop kids off or pick them up so they don't have those opportunities necessarily to have that chat but you know writing a note when you've got the time to jot that down is ideal and yeah I think what you said about an audit is spot on 
And I mean, schools could, you know, as part of that, actually survey parents as well and ask them, you know, what of the channels that we use, do you use, actually find out what they're actively using, what do they know, what they can do with them, you know, mix check their understanding of all the different kind of apps and whatever else they've sent through as well, because that would really highlight for them, I guess, where they need to kind of put more focus, where they could maybe scale some things back because it hasn't really worked. Yeah, that's another thing in the parent WhatsApp group is mm. can anybody log into whatever it is we're trying to yeah. log into because we're like school have asked us to pay money for this, but it's not showing yet and all these sorts mm. of things. And the, the, I think we make an assumption when we're communicating with parents and I wrote about it in Rise as well, that we make an assumption that parents come from a certain level of education and mm. that might not be the case. And yeah, even if absolutely. it is the case, is that from that level of digital literacy as well? in that they can engage with those apps. Mm, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So really finding out where your parents are at with that would be really helpful too. So you mentioned obviously your digital literacy and we've been talking about kind of various different apps and portals and all these other kind of things that schools are using to communicate. What would you say the role of EdTech is in parental engagement and how else, other than obviously having that audit, how else can schools best utilise it? I think EdTech is powerful for the communication, but also the powerful for supporting parents with what's happening mm. in the classroom. What, what we desperately want as a parent, and certainly in my case, is I want to be stood in that classroom watching, going, oh, mm. isn't he doing well? Isn't she yeah. doing well? Oh, aren't they playing nicely together? Oh, isn't that wonderful? And, you know, that's not realistic. But when I gave the phonics example, there's a perception, and we certainly had this in secondary mm -hmm. schools as well, that parents would turn and go, maths is different, it's taught different to how I was taught. Mm. It isn't. Nobody changed maths. You know, nobody changed English and nobody changed phonics. It's just taught in a different way, but nobody mm. changed the actual concepts or anything that yeah. happens. And sometimes it's just and, different language as well. It's still yeah. the same thing. It's just a totally different word for it than when you were at school. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, we used to get long division and bus stop and parents would be mm. outraged that we were teaching them bus stop division and confusing them. We're like, well, actually, it's just long division. That's mm. just all just it is. Another name for it. Yeah. yeah. It's And it's like phonics. Like, parents, mm. I, can't, I can't get my head around this phonics. Well, how would you sound a word out if you didn't know what it was? Well, I'd mm. sound it out. Right. OK, so that you fits, are, you, yeah. you would use it. So it's, it, mm. it's that it's that bit of bridging what there's a perception sometimes of where parents are coming from but also there's a perception of where schools think parents are at as well so I think education technology can leverage that so mm -hmm. I know there are parents who lack massive confidence in maths mm -hmm. because I get private messages from them going this yeah. whole week like I'm I'm going to send them around your house for tea can you fill it in with them sort of mm -hmm. conversations and if we had a website or a resource that showed it or highlighted it or explained it, mm. technology can bridge that gap and then you can sit and you can do it together. I think the gamification yeah. of education is massive for parental engagement as well mm. because there's nothing more enjoyable as a parent than sitting playing a game with your child and then enjoying yeah. it. And also them learning while they're doing mm. it is just a perfect combination. Mm. Mine sits for hours and hours and hours on telling the time from analog clocks mm. that's their passion at the moment um mm. and the the technology has enabled that you know 
as a parent, I can leave them to do that or I can sit mm. with them and I can learn with them. But it's not asking me to create the resource with a wooden mm. clock and then create it and then change it around and jumble it up and all those things. Technology mm. has built that for them and that gamification and that enjoyment um, of them um, succeeding is what's motivating them to continue. And mm. so that's where technology really sits for me in that engagement with parents. It can build that gamification and that learning at home element. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. So it really feeds into that motivation and also accessibility as well, because like you said, you don't have to make the resources yourself. They're there, they're easy to access. Um, they can explain things, kind of give you that extra structure and, and scaffolding that's needed. So speaking of EdTech, <laughs> <laughs> you recently attended the Bet Show. It was so nice to see you there, by the way. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your experience there and maybe why kind of educators might want to kind of have a look at something like that how it could be useful for them yeah it was lovely to see you too it was lovely to meet you in the flesh <laughs> and I actually in person in <laughs> I know. a lot of people in the flesh and I think we've forgotten how special it is when we are together mm. with people as well Definitely. Um, no the bet show is 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 wonderful and it is for primary I'll just say this at the very beginning it's absolutely for primary I think you'll find more yeah. secondary teachers coming away going gosh that's for primary then you mm. will primary teachers who actually go because I think primary teachers assume it's not for them mm. but it certainly was I mean there were them robots that were just running around the hall oh it's so great <laughs> it was so great and I'm like if they went into a key stage one or a key stage mm. two classroom that would blow their minds they would love that there's so much learning oh, to happen with that I was just like amazing and then you've got like physical cubes where you can like label the sides of of what they were and then you can like flip them around and oh there was the like the lights that they could play tag and answer questions mm. and choose the right answers there was so much so much there Absolutely. and I think I think as a secondary and FE educator when I used to mm. go I used to see all the primary things and think how do I make this more adulty or how could I put this in for adults um mm. but it definitely is for primary um I was there with text help that's where I work um mm. we had a we had quite a large stand as did you guys you had a bigger stand to be honest um, <laughs> and, um, it was just a buzz of people wanting to learn about um accessibility so we, mm. we do accessibility for text to be read aloud we also do maths that can be read aloud but we have like um a platform that does visual manipulative so anything mm. that you would get out of the cupboard like a tens rod or a tens frame we we do that digitally so primary teachers i love that what that's you amazing isn't it? with a click <laughs> yeah it's like what i'm just what what where did, i've just got i don't it's crazy yeah I think about it. yeah and then you could like you can like infinitely clone like coins mm. so no however many coins they need to work out yeah. like my child to to sum up one pound 52 would bring out 15 10 pence pieces and then two pennies and i'd be like right let's mm. find a more efficient way to make one pound yeah. 52 <laughs> um, and, but you can do that digitally mm. because you're not bound by the constraints of the coins in the classroom and yeah you know, absolutely. they have i fully accept they've missed so much hands-on learning in the classroom I'm not mm. saying we should digitize everything absolutely they should be of sat course. with the physical coins and they should be sat with the clock uh the yeah. and the clocks in the classroom but where can we build in those opportunities to digitize elements perhaps mm. outside the classroom to support yeah. parents or as they progress into key stage two and some of them need them and some of them don't need them how do mm. we how do we bridge that so that's that's where where we sit but I think Bet was just wonderful for a buzz for educators to connect 
Collect. Mm. Um, but also some of the talks were really inspiring. Yeah. GC Collect, where we're both um, part of the collective, that was a really inspiring um, takeover mm. that happened. Um, there were some really fascinating talks um, about um, digital pedagogy, but mm. in a real accessible way, like you could walk away going, oh, I might go read that full article now. Now I have a basic understanding yeah. of what, what it was talking about. So I think Beth does that really well, as well mm. as seeing all the cool things. And just that love of education, that mm. there wasn't a person in that massive hall, a hall B, there's two massive halls. Like there wasn't a person there that wasn't enjoying being an educator as their mm. job. And that is what feeds you as an educator, that, love and connection for your passion with other people you're like oh you're a teacher too cool and mm -hmm. it's that and uh, I think for me when I used to be teaching full-time that would carry me through for a few months be like mm -hmm. Do you know what there's a whole world of other educators as passionate as me I'm going to keep yeah. going I love this so much yeah it's definitely that place for that inspiration and that kind of connection as well um, yeah, so much great stuff to see. Like, I wish I'd have more time to to explore it all. To be fair, <laughs> we both said this, didn't we? We both said, "Wish we would have had more time." And we should. Do you know what? Next year, we should take each other off for a tour. We should do a guided tour of each other's halls. That's Definitely. What we yeah, take it all in. <laughs> so obviously, we've talked a lot about that role of edtech and how it can be used for that kind of accessibility, that communication. So really, it's like it's enhancing. Um, and it can really be helpful for that parental engagement. But I know, obviously, in your RISE article, you've said that there is actually quite a lot of maths anxiety for parents. And we, we did mention that earlier in the podcast as well. Um, could you talk a bit more about what kind of anxieties you found that parents can have with that subject? Yeah, I think I think the first thing to say is that we, we, we have an assumption of where parents start from with mm. a maths level of knowledge. And I'll... I'll, I'll pop some bubbles now potentially in that I have taught adults maths for many many years mm. and often that starts with teaching times tables mm -hmm. that is where we start most of the time mm. um, an efficient way to multiply numbers and then an efficient way to divide numbers um, if I am teaching a functional skills class perhaps entry three I will be starting with words and figures and supertizing mm. and that is a level of an adult mm. um, and I think you can then understand where anxiety would come from because when homework comes home that assumes you know that three is mm. three and assumes you know your times tables you can't support your child because you don't know mm what the maths is asking in the very beginning. Mm. Um, I was reading an article um, recently and it was saying about um, specific learning difficulties in maths and in one study, mm. like 40% of children were identified as having a specific learning difficulty in maths, but 0.04% mm. ever got diagnosed. Mm. And so we have, and when we say diagnosed, we mean dyscalculia. And it's, yeah. a really, it's a really tricky, it's a really tricky one to diagnose mm. because it can mean so much. So yeah we have a broader term of specific learning difficulty in maths which mm. could be the ordinality of numbers so knowing mm -hmm. that two comes after one yeah. and that three comes before four and mm -hmm. um, it could be a specific learning difficulty in maths in that you you can't do supertizing very well so you don't know that three is three or it could be um an anxiety in maths where you are um looking at 
um, a graph and it might lead to dysgraphia where you, you can't see what is being displayed. Mm. We've got so we've got such a range of issues that people can experience in maths. It's mm. it's quite hard for us as educators to ever be on top of it, and nobody's ever going to be an expert in in all of no. that. That's not what we're going to do. But even like mathematical reasoning can be a challenge mm. in that following the logical argument of a process yeah. of operations can be a challenge and. You know, if we take that small scale study of like, you know, forty um, percent, but only not point four percent were ever diagnosed, we're unlikely to have ever had a diagnosis. So we're unlikely to have ever possibly shared that we struggle with maths in this way. Mm-hmm. And then that anxiety is built. We've come into adulthood. We've got got away with it basically. Mm-hmm. We've got away with not having to do maths for a really long time. All of a sudden, we have a child. This homework comes home. And it's just, it's number blindness is probably mm. the broadest description where mm. you're just like, I don't know what this is saying. Mm. And I don't think any teacher would ever wish that on anyone. No. no um, we, you know, we, we, we struggle with, you know, recognising handwritten maths as well with mm. people who um, perhaps are new to the UK or were first generation migrants they might write their numbers slightly differently to how we mm. write our numbers. Have we understood that as educators and have we mm. taken that into an account? Because if a child is going home and seeing numbers written slightly differently, that can lead to confusion. I think, mm. you know, the example in our house is that my other half writes his uh, sevens in a French style. And mm. we've had to correct that. <laughs> we don't copy that. We don't do how daddy writes sevens. Yeah. yeah, we we write them this way. Um, and... Mm. It, that's just a real small example but we mm. we as educators want everyone to succeed do well and we want the child to be lovingly supported at school and at home mm. that anxiety that a parent then experiences a were we aware of it and b mm. how do we best support it as educators mm. how do we so that's what we're saying about the technology being really important yeah. in it can do like you said that scaffolding that might just mm. bridge the knowledge from when I learned maths to how it's being mm. taught now, even though it's probably not that different. Or it might be the bridge that, okay, I can follow this and I might sit for six hours on my own in the evening mm. so that I'm ready to support my child tomorrow. Mm. Um, and those are real examples that I've seen happen. Mm. It, do you think, oh, sorry, go on. Go, no, no, you go. Oh, no, I was just going to say, do you think as well that part of what really feeds that anxiety is if we're looking at, say, an early years and primary level and a parent is looking at it and they just don't know where to start, they don't understand it, do you think some of that anxiety is actually from that kind of fear of embarrassment and feeling like it would be hard to kind of get that support without it being patronising or without, you know, being made to feel stupid when actually, obviously, it's not that, it's just that they, they don't know it, they haven't learnt it or... They've, you know, not had to use that knowledge, even if they have got it for however long. Do you think that's also kind of a big factor in that anxiety? Yeah, and I think one of the things that we know from the studies is that that anxiety can be passed on really easily to children. Mm. So if a parent has um, high maths anxiety, we know that that can be passed to, to children. Um, I, I wrote a blog for Nexus Education that my mum mm. 
was always bad at maths, so therefore I'm bad at maths. And that was always a tale in secondary that, well, I couldn't possibly do maths because my parents can't do maths. And mm. it, it, it sort of, it has become a socially acceptable statement to say. Mm. Um, and I think there's that fear of being found out as a parent. You don't want, you want to be a hero in your child's eyes, always and you don't want to be found out that you can't do something and your child to know mm. that and that that fear must just be awful to experience mm. and it must just put such pressure on you to push yourself to work harder and smarter most mm. of the adults in my last class yeah were there because they wanted to support their children who were going to high school Mm. and they knew that one parent actually says we should I've got away with it through primary school but actually now they're going to high school I'm gonna need to do my GCSE yeah um and that that motivation for them to study their maths so they're best able to support them and and the phrase that she said I got away with it at primary school Mm. how how many people haven't got away with it with support at primary school Mm. and also that still means obviously they didn't still didn't find that easy and still probably weren't able to feel they could support in the best way for all that time they didn't also speak out about it by the sound of it either so it's that there's that other difficulty as well of them kind of wanting to seek help so how can educators best support parents in overcoming their anxieties and also I guess help them feel more encouraged to actually come forward about needing some help supporting their child in maths yeah, I think getting parents to come forward, I think, is a challenge that will mm. be very, very challenging to overcome. Yeah. In in like the phonics meeting that we had at school, there was never a maths meeting um, because I think there was an assumption that we could support EYFS mm. maths learning. Maybe that's where it should go. Maybe that's mm. where it should start. If you're going to have a phonics evening, maybe you should have a maths evening where you yeah. go through and you hand out you know printed pages of resources whatever platform you use in your school Mm. you know basics worksheets so that they have those at home to refer back to like I said all the way through there is too much communication can't ever happen for a parent really that we we just want so much and if you can open that dialogue from a very early stage and say look this is the math that we're going to do if at any point you have any questions we would love to talk to you and mm. you know make it as informal as possible but yeah. I think that the biggest thing to support is probably that discreet support mm. um, to parents in the handing those resources over handing those explanations over directing yeah. to those websites that best support those explanations directing mm. to those websites that that can help but also you know you can you can make it fun as it goes through um there was um there was a website that we we had and i talked about this gamification before Mm. and it became like a parent and child competition where like Mm. parents could score them you had to clear something quite quickly like the Mm. i think it was clocks again it was matching Mm. the times and you had to clear it quite quickly there was there was a timed element to it Um, Mm. and so that gamification as a parent became quite important to to my child as well but i think schools can best support as well by engaging with local education providers so Mm -hmm. I've worked in further education for a long time and we run courses in maths that start from as little as two weeks where you can come along for a two week quick introduction to maths. Mm -hmm. There's no formal certificate at the end. It's just about building your skills and learning. Mm -hmm. Could your school host one of those for the local education people, Mm -hmm. the college or from the council? Your local council will have an agile education department and they will be teaching these these courses. Um, 
There is also a, a digital literacy course that's mandated as well. So, mm. you know, you, you could be the place that becomes the venue where they, they come and attend these. You will know your local area best, but mm. there are colleges and local authorities out there already offering two weeks courses in maths or offering formal certification mm. courses in maths. And these people are experts in working with adults and supporting and motivating adults to re-engage with maths. Mm. Um, and I would encourage anyone in primary to just engage with those providers and seek how can we best work together to support our parents. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's really good advice. And I think sometimes it's just being aware that those are available and they're out there. Um, that could actually really be beneficial for schools and parents to have that all set up so I'm oh go on sorry sorry no you know I was just going to say you don't know what you don't know yes. So if you've never spoken to the local college before or you've never spoken to the local council adult education department before mm. and they might actually be on your training courses at the local council yeah, you could engage with them informally or formally um, mm. but even if you could just supply some information that signposts parents to where this information is mm. that might just be the step that some parents need because what you don't know a parent do- might not know too. Yeah absolutely oh do you know I've loved having you on the show Sammy thank you so much for coming on um, just one last thing where can people get in touch with you and find out more about what you do? Oh, thanks, Kat. It's been a real joy to talk to you. Um, I am What the Trig Math on Twitter, and you'll find me on there all the time. It's a really bad habit I've got. Um, <laughs> I am on there. Me too. Um, <laughs> I am on there, and DMs are always open if anyone wants to ask any questions about how to engage with further education providers as well. Mm, brilliant. All right. Well, thank you so much, Sammy. It's been an absolute pleasure, and um, take care.